Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Welcome to the Sport Faith Life podcast. We're here again with uh, Andy Meyer. Our Andy is our uh, first guest on uh, the new edition of Sport Faith Life. Uh, this used to be Dig Deep, the podcast about Sport Faith Life, and we've gotten rid of the Dig Deep, even though we're still digging deep and thinking through the main uh, questions that uh, that concern us regarding sport and faith. Chad, my partner, Chad Carlson, is with us. Chad, why don't you say hello? Hello, everybody. Yeah, we're excited to have Andy Meyer on the show today. Uh, Andy, why don't we start with uh, the pregame? We got a couple pregame questions for you. Tell us about uh, sport in your life. Uh, well, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, sport has been an instrumental part of my life, uh, as with many people. It's still a, a way that I connect with friends and family. My dad and I, obviously, we have strong connections through sport. Uh, I was a swimmer in college. Uh, I swam at a Division One and Division Three level. After college, I got into triathlon, and more recently, with kids, I just go for bike rides and runs when I can. Uh, I do love to watch the Tour de France, and uh, every July, you'll catch me every morning watching live the six hours of episode uh, that they televise from France. So uh, trying to get my daughters into cycling now and running and uh, just enjoying, enjoying sport. Andy, tell us about faith in your life. Well, uh, faith in my life has been, a, when I had this question, I was really excited to talk about it. Um, I came from a dual religion household. My mom was Jewish and my dad was Catholic. And so um, those conversations were always rich, um, always uh, lots of questions were, were there. Lots of questions were able to be answered. Uh, in high school, I went to a Catholic high school and decided to be a Christian. Uh, so I, I lived my life as a Christian. I teach at Baylor University. I, um, I we pray. Uh, I go to a great Baptist church down here in Waco. It's real progressive and real socially focused, and so um, I just relish the opportunity to bring sport and faith into my life and, and uh, teach about those things uh, in my daily life. Wow, what a fascinating background, and what a rich. Um context to bring into your classroom. And so we're going to be excited to talk to you about your classroom. Other than that that short uh, explanation of your faith history, which I think we'll hear more, and a little bit about your sport life, I, what is what is it that everybody needs to know about you, Andy? <laughs> uh, I go with the flow. Uh, I try mm-hmm. and um, oh, I have standards, but, um, you know, <laughs> life has taught us. We're so thankful. Yeah, right. And uh, if life has taught us anything recently, it's that uh, nothing is for, cer- for certain. Uh, so since we've been quarantined, uh, I have two daughters, two little girls, and my wife. We've started doing a lot of uh, ha- farming. We've created gardens. We've bought chickens. We've increased our cat count by two. We got a dog. Uh, so we're planting trees, and we're just kind of living right now in the moment and uh, excited about when the world can kind of get back to uh, to normal. Um, I like, I like teaching. I love teaching. It's my passion. Um, and so I know that's not necessarily my, my hobby, 
but it is what I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, and, uh, and, and working with young people as well. I really like mentoring and, and students as well as uh, just people I, I interact with. So, Andy, you mentioned the giant elephant in every room, which is the coronavirus, yeah. right? We're in the middle of this, and that sort of timestamps this uh, podcast. And, and in many ways, we see all of the world right now through this this pandemic, through the lens of this pandemic. So your your area is, is education, it's sport, it's faith. So sport has shut down largely. Uh, professional sport, collegiate sport, um, uh, a lot of uh, youth sport has actually changed quite a bit. Uh, can you tell us, uh, as we get into a little bit more about your work, what's the world missing? What? Why is it that uh, we care that sport is shut down? I think because sport is such a ubiquitous cultural activity, you know, like religion. Uh, it's one of the things I, I like talking to my students about is faith and religion around the world is just so instrumental to human culture, but so is sport. Um, and that, you know, we look at it from an American lens, but around the world, sport was shut down. Uh, European soccer leagues didn't know what to do. And, and uh, um, soccer leagues down in Africa and in India and in China, I mean, around the world, the, the Olympics were canceled, right, or postponed. Uh, so, you know, I think that, that sport is such an impactful and culturally meaningful experience around the globe. Um, it's just shared by everybody, and we all know what sport is when we see it. That I think, um, I think people were missing it. Um, my father, I talked about my dad real quick earlier. I he was the only one that I spoke to that really was missing sport. I said, "Really, Dad?" Mm. Um, my athletes in my classes felt like they got a bit of a break. Um, some of my other students, when I would talk to them, would say, "You know what? I, I started looking at other things. I started paying attention to other." Other things, ESPN didn't have any content on, so what, what else can I look at? Uh, and so people started to realize that, that sport is important and, and part of who we are, but maybe it's too important sometimes. Uh, maybe it dominates our conversations a little too much. Uh, and so I think as we slowly creep our way back towards it, I think about the little fake pictures uh, and behind the baseball, but behind the diamond. Have you guys watched any baseball games? Yeah. I bet those people paid a lot of money to have their picture taken and put in their seat, right? Um, you know, it's still like we need it. And I watch a game and I'm like, nobody's cheering. That's it's really it's really strange to not see anybody at the stadium watching sport. It's not the same. Sport me needs people to be there. It, it's a it's a it's a social activity for sure. Oh, it absolutely is, and I think. I'm reminded of this uh, commercial for the NFL a couple of years ago. It says, what would we do without football? And it shows all these men who are like, they have these perfectly manicured lawns and they're making <laughs> these wonderful dinners in the fall. You know, they're doing all these things that are, that maybe they could be doing if football wasn't around. So it, it is this important thing. And yet we, we oftentimes place probably too much importance on it. But, you know, like you say, it's a social activity. Uh, but this break from the social activity has given us an opportunity to to try new things, right? To think about who we are as as people, what our hobbies are, what our interests are. It seems to me that you are in a unique situation to be able to, to take a look at some of this, specifically the morality, right? So you're an American, you've been involved in American sports, but you've also studied and uh, taught about sports that have a, not uniquely, but a, a definitely a an important global perspective. I'm thinking about cycling. I'm thinking about Lance Armstrong and the work that you've done, taking a look at, at him specifically related to 
uh, moral character, Christian moral character. Mm -hmm. How is that? How has your unique lens informed your work on morality, Christianity, and sport? That's a great question. Um, I, I guess I would kind of go back to the environment in which I grew up in, where thinking about and questioning what who God was and what God meant in our lives. Um, it wasn't necessarily Jesus at that time because Jesus wasn't the centerpiece. He was part of my Christian upbringing. Um, but I certainly was allowed to ask questions and have doubts and and say, but, you know, it, it, does everybody like this guy because he's a Christian dad? Is that why everybody likes him? Hmm. Um, and then when I got to high school, I actually won um, as a senior. I didn't know I was going to this was going to happen, but I won the theology award because I asked the most questions uh, because I challenged the brothers on uh, not everything. I mean, I was kind about it, but. But I was really interested and fascinated by what this means in people's lives and what does it mean to be a person of faith or to live out a religious lifestyle? Um, because often we see in sports, you know, you mentioned Lance, you know, people put a lot of faith in him. They saw him as a moral leader, somebody who embodied what it meant to be a good human being, to give back and to to fight for cancer causes. And, and yet morally in his sport, he wasn't living up to to the ideal or the standard, right? He was he was corrupt, and so those are the kinds of questions that really get me excited and prompt me to to dig further into these things, and then to have those conversations with my students in class, who oftentimes just see sport as this thing that everybody does, and can you believe that he said that or he did that or she's she's dating him or whatever. But they don't actually understand how influential sports is sports is morality is in our culture and for individual lives. And so, Andy, you've brought that curiosity, that interest in sport and faith and asking big questions. You brought that into your classroom. Mm -hmm. And it's been oh, uh, an interesting journey for you to try to uh, figure out this whole connection between sport and practices. In other words, what does our uh, walk around life have to do with sport and does one affect the other? Mm. And, and you've tried to take, uh, uh, I think as professors, uh, we end up kind of sit remaining in our heads a lot. <laughs> and yet uh, I think you've thought about this whole idea of what is the climate? What is the culture of a classroom? Uh, tell us how that has evolved and then maybe some of the big questions that you're asking your students. Mm. Well, in my head, Brian, that's where I'm always right, right? Yeah, exactly. If I don't say anything, I'm right. Um, yeah, the, the, um, so, so the, what I wrote about in the blog was more specifically about what I've done more recently. Um, and I think all of us are always in a, in a series of evolution towards how we approach our classes or students or, you know, we, how we approach a topic or something like that. Um, but, but I realized early on that I really just loved teaching and I loved being up in front of a classroom, not lecturing, but to engage in, in conversation. For me, it's an hour of conversation with a bunch of people who share similar interests. And so the first thing that I have to do is I kind of have to break down what they might have already in their brains about the relationship between sport and religion. And so the first couple classes are just destroying that, um, you know, reading some Hoffman, reading some uh, Kretschmar, you know, thinking deeply about what, what is this relationship between these two activities and are they similar or are they different? 
And, um, and so once we kind of establish a, a, an understanding of where these two things might be, even if we don't have an answer, we can start building on that and asking bigger questions like, does sport build character? Um, is sport a good place to build character? Should sport build character? Um, you know, we have all these examples of bad character being established or being promoted, and yet we still pump our kids into youth sports programs by the millions every year because we still have this understanding that somehow it's good, somehow they should be involved in these things. And so that's what we start to kind of pull back and look at. Um, and then, so that was that was when I started teaching this course on religion and sport. And then about three years ago, I kind of changed and started to investigate these Christian character traits and, and using those as the as the parameters by which we would evaluate the relationship between sport and religion. So give us a background for some of the research that you've done and how that's informed you get into this point with teaching. Right. So yeah. you've done you've done a lot of work on muscular Christianity. You've done work on that from a historical context and also bringing that into the present, specifically with, um, you know, sport for good type of uh, experiences, type of um, um, games, events, mm-hmm. matches, right? Whatever else mm-hmm. where we're, we're doing something for the good of, of the order, but it's through sport being able to do that. What's, how has that informed you getting to this point for your teaching? Yeah, thanks for connecting that, Chad, because I hadn't thought of that. Right, so muscular Christianity is where I started my journey in looking at sport um, and and doing more um, evaluative and critical evaluation of of sport. And because I had a passion for religion and and religious life and spirituality and theology, um, muscular Christianity became my entrance point because, as I've talked about and read from others, that's where modern sport and the ideals that embody modern sport really stemmed from, where, where, they, where they're developed and established in what we know today as sport, uh, yeah, as modern sport. And so um, w- looking at Lance Armstrong in my dissertation, what I evaluated was how these historic Christian themes that nobody really seems to understand or know about, but that operate in sport, how he was embodying those sorts of traits in, in his media, in his public uh, personality, um, you know, doing good for others by being a strong athlete, having a strong, well-exercised body. Um, and so looking at how his image embodied those Christian character traits, those muscular Christian character traits that were historic, but now in the modern era, um, was really a neat way to kind of get at what it means to be an athlete and what we want from our athletes today. We want saviors. We want guy uh, athletes not necessarily guys but guys and, and women men, this is where you're going to cut uh we really want men male, male and female athletes um to be role models to be ideal citizens and ideal characters that we can all look up to and say see that's a great guy and look at how good he is at his sport and she she just really embodies those excellent characteristics of what it means to be a woman and a female athlete um, and so Lance was was kind of the avenue into that. And then, like you mentioned, I, I, I started to evaluate how those ideals and themes persist in large international sporting events like the Tour de France. Uh, I did a study over in France in 2014 where I um, assessed spectator uh, perceptions of muscular Christianity. 
And I've also looked at these in four cause events, like um, like the Livestrong events, where they do marathons or they do bike rides to raise money and awareness for cancer. Uh, and so, so I guess muscular Christianity and then leading it to Lance Armstrong really, you know, brought me to this point of starting to dig deeper at what the values, what the character traits were when we talk about a Christian sport ideology or we talk about a religious sport connection. So you've started to uh, make some value judgments. Uh, you kind of you're kind of staying right on the uh, on the edge here, but I'm going to push you. Okay, all right. Because I, I think uh, I've asked that question about sport and character a lot in my classrooms as well, and there's lots of examples of uh, Lance Armstrong and other characters that have uh, fallen short, and yet we want so badly to say yes to that question. In fact, every student raises their hand when asked, "Does sport build character?" And, and in that case, they're thinking about positive character, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so I think you're, you're starting to say that sport is kind of held into this place that maybe it can't achieve, but maybe that it has this ideal. And so as we approach that, do you think that we're better off kind of lowering our expectations for sport? Or do you think that we ought to change sport to try to meet those ideals? I would tend to agree with your second point there, Brian, that we should reevaluate what we want sport to be and do and work towards changing sport. Um, I think that uh, I agree with you that that everybody thinks when they raise their hand that sports build character, that it's positive, but it also builds poor character, right? Um, and And I start talking to my students that way, that sport is what we make of it. We, we can make sport do great things, and we have examples of how sport can do great things. And we can make sport do really poor things and evil things, and we have examples of those as well. Um, and so, you know, I, I, my value judgment on it is that sport is a very narcissistic and, in our contemporary society, very money-centric um, activity. And so money drives it, and people worry about themselves, and people worry about their successes and their um, their achievements, and they forget about how sport could be more universal, uh, how sport could speak to communities that feel disenfranchised, um, how sport could be um, more applicable to populations other than the elite athletes that we tend to see on TV or out on the fields uh, every week. Um, I think about youth select baseball teams and how even in their names, select, they are distilling down at age eight or nine who gets to play and who doesn't get to play. Uh, and then who are those that are left out? Maybe the ones that haven't matured enough or have some sort of uh, physical limitation or something like that, who can't afford it. Uh, and so sport itself is an activity that distills out certain segments of the population only for those who we have deemed to be the ones who should or can play. So you're taking a look at sport character. Brian brought up value value judgments, and and you, um, I mean, we're, we're watching you on screen here. I know our our listeners are just listening, but you, you you pulled back, right? You don't want to be accused of bringing value judgments into that, and I, I get that too. 
So you've got this background in philosophy mm-hmm. that we would, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, had to do with some normative ethics. Mm-hmm. But then you've also got this background in sort of you know cultural studies or understanding of sport, which might be a bit more descriptive. So when we're talking about character and morality in sport, here you're talking about sort of um, how we can change sport. That is, we're thinking about you know normatively what ought we to do, but also what is occurring. Yeah. And I find in my classroom, sometimes that's a difficult um, switch for students to make. Okay, what were my experiences? That's descriptive. We're thinking about what actually has happened, what is happening. And then we're thinking about what ought to happen. Can you speak to that in your teaching, whether you find yourself leaning more towards what ought to happen or or being able to describe to students or help them describe what did happen and therefore enlightening them in a totally different way or helping them to find light in a different way? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's another great question. Um, I'm not I'm not old, but I'm I'm also I also feel like I'm not the one who can change these things necessarily anymore. Um I had really positive experiences in sport. Even my negative experience in sport ended up being really positive. In the moment, I didn't see that, right? Uh, but looking back, my my most awful experience in sport was actually the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. And are so, explain, are you going to explain that what that was? Um, I, I had to leave um, a Division One swimming program because I was the slowest guy on the team, and my GPA was what I will not name (laughs) because I was swimming because I was just trying to hold on as long as I could because I felt like swimming was what I was supposed to do. And, um, I just poured all myself into it and my, my grades suffered. And, And by taking my foot off the gas and going to a smaller school where swimming was still part of it, but wasn't the most important thing, put me on a trajectory towards where I'm now today sitting in front of you guys talking about sport and faith. Um, one class at my new university changed my whole perspective. So, um, when I, when I, when I make those value judgments, so first of all, when I'm standing in front of a class, I tend, I, tr- I really try and be as objective as possible, right? Stay out of it. Let them come to conversations, let them come to ideas. Um, but I also feel like one of my roles as a, as a professor, as a, as an educator is to get my students to think about how the world could be different. That just because it is this way doesn't necessarily mean it has to be this way. And that um, by informing them, by getting them to think and talk and challenge the structures that they've set up, even if it's a theological structure, which are always a little bit uh, tenuous to deal with, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting them to at least acknowledge that, that there are different ways of thinking about things in this world. And just because it is one way doesn't mean it has to be. Uh, just because we honor these athletes as as mere gods and we pay them hundreds of millions of dollars. What was Mahomes' new salary? Five hundred million. And he hasn't. I mean, he's done stuff, but but he's still really young, right? I mean, that's that's he's underpaid. Yeah, underpaid. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's just that's just an insane amount of money to pay somebody to play sport. But it shows where we val- what we value in this culture, what we value in, this, in our society, in this current state of sport. And so then how can anybody else live up to anything if they're not, um, if they're not reaching those sorts of levels of standard? Uh, and I think it's a real recipe for a, for a bunch of people who love sport but can't participate to not necessarily feel like they've fulfilled their lives. And I get a lot of those in class too. I get a lot of the kids that played high school or played it, you know, and then just got so 
disenfranchised or, you know, dis, um, they just, they had a bad experience and it really tainted how they think and feel about themselves and how they think and feel about, about sport. Uh, and so it creates a little bit of hostility there. Yeah. And I think you're, you're headed down. I mean, we could go on and on. I think we're going to, uh, move toward our final or final questions here. Sure. And, and I, and I want to try to see if I can push that point just a little further, because I think that experience you just talked about with that one student who started with a love of sport and somehow that love deteriorated, right? Somehow it was gone. Uh, and I think a lot of people have that story that somehow it was gone. And, and so the question might be like, um, Typically, when people tell that story, it's because other things have been added. Uh, this fun thing that I was doing, yeah. this one, maybe even they'll use the word escape, this one moment, uh, something was added to it. Maybe it was the need to get a scholarship. Maybe it was the intensity of the competition. Maybe it was the comparison to others. Something uh, just took the fun out of it or took the allure out of it. Uh, and yet, when we think about it, we think that some of those things that we could add to sport might be really positive. Do you think sport needs to be uh, better attached to positive things or does sport need to be freed so they can become that thing again for, for people that participate? Uh, big, big question. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> so when, when, when I think you're talking about adding positive things you're talking about you know establishing some sort of criteria by which sport will be this sport will be that right well i think you listed some of them you say you know sport can be a community for someone yeah. sport can be an opera right so you're think you're you're actually adding some things that are um tangential in some ways to sport the sport experience itself you're saying wow this might be a, a lift for someone it might be a social club mm -hmm. for someone mm -hmm. uh, and so uh i wonder uh those positives that come from sport can they are, are we just trying to trade one for another uh or do you think we're we're uh moving in the right direction yeah. by being more inclusive and drawing more people in and using sport for those purposes. Yeah, I, I think, I think again, that second point, going back to what I said earlier about how sport is what we make of it. Um, and so not every situation is going to be the same. And so I, I think what I was trying to say before was I'm trying to avoid saying sport needs to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, I think that sport does do X, Y, and Z sometimes and in other areas. Uh, some of my work with a, with an undergrad master's, uh, undergrad thesis student this semester, he looked at how sport builds community. Uh, especially following a natural disaster. And he focused on Hurricane Katrina down in New Orleans, how that New Orleans Saints football team really did some amazing things to bring that community back from, from the natural disaster. We saw the same thing happen in 9-11 to New York City. Uh, we saw it happen in Boston after the Boston Marathon bombing. The Red Sox uh, kind of rallied and it was Boston Strong. Uh, by the way, a takeoff of Live Strong, which Lance Armstrong established in the first yep. nice. But nice. But right. So, yeah, I mean, like sport can fulfill these needs for people. But by saying, I think we need to let sport be, but also call sport out when it's not necessarily living up to the ideals that we might want. And I think that's where it gets tricky because we get caught up in the, oh, he got paid $500 million. But nobody's saying, why is he getting paid $500 million? 
um, to tie it back into COVID times, um, you know, I, I have a student whose boyfriend, I hope is, is her boyfriend, uh, he just went to Philadelphia for training camp and he's going to get tested for COVID every day. Every single day he'll have a test. Right. And they'll get those results back very quickly. And yet around the country, we also hear that people are taking, you know, two weeks, up to two weeks to get test results back. Uh, and people are standing in line, uh, sitting in line oftentimes. So where is the, um, there's, it, it seems to be out of balance right now. So perhaps by investing in, I, I think the area I'd love to see invested in is youth local sports um, and getting away from these select type of sports or these elite type of youth sports, but by opening sport back up again to young people, the sport can then be used again in the ways that those communities and those, those populations need them to function in a positive way. And when you say sport is what you make of it, that's a, that's a really profound statement. And I think what we're getting at here is that sport is what an individual can make of it in some ways. I mean, a, a student's experiences, specifically college students like all of us deal with, who some may have had very positive experiences, some may be very negative, and some maybe most, a mixture of both. And yet, uh, it seems to me that there are, at the organizational level, sport is what we make of it as well. And so why is Patrick Mahomes being paid a half a billion dollars to be the quarterback if we don't even know there's going to be a season? I mean, all, all of this stuff you know, coming together, we have made of it in this way, we've allowed market forces to come in. Some of those have been very positive. It allows us to watch more games on TV than what our predecessors did in previous generations uh, because of the market forces. But it's also um, made this uh, an ultra competitive business and it's brought business interests into the game. And so we have a positive and a negative there that, that Brian is talking about. And certainly sport is what we make of it. As well, sport is what you make of it. Sport is what we make of it, right? And and we can make of it what we will, and we have. Yeah, right? we have. Yeah, you just reminded me that I, I'm part of the doping problem in cycling because I wake up every July morning to watch the next stage, right? And I bought that program <laughs> so that I could watch it live. We are, we are all tied up in it, and and it doesn't mean that that you know our our little actions like that or the fact that we want to have the the pass to watch the who are you guys are you. You're the Lions? Are you guys the Lions? Yeah. Fans? All right. Hey, yeah. You, Come on, Chad. <laughs> own it, Chad. Own it. I'm not. I'm not. Come on. But you're buying Nick. the season pass so you can see them all, right? Um, and, and, and people spend a lot of money. And I think that's the control we have. If you stop watching, if people don't want to watch baseball anymore, what's going to happen? It, it They'll stop sending it out there and it'll stop being so out of control. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right, Chad. Thanks for highlighting that, that we, we do have control by how we spend our time and attention and, and focus on these things. And on that, an, an excellent note, uh, one of, uh, really great joy that we can participate in the sport and perhaps great responsibility as we think about every aspect of our lives, uh, coming under, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and, so as we as we kind of close this discussion, I just want to thank you, uh, Andy, for joining us uh, on Sport Faith Life. This is the kind of conversation that we love to have. And so Chad and I have this uh, conversation just between the two of us often, and it's just fun to add new people to it. Uh, I want to let our listeners know that Andy has also written a blog, and so uh, you will be able to find uh, this podcast, and you'll be able to find uh, the blog and future blogs on sportfaithlife.com. 
And we want you to tell your friends. So let's just uh, keep getting that information out there. Thanks very much, Andy, for joining us. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Brian, for having me. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com.